Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Hello and welcome to Second Captain's Football at the Irish Times at the tail end of what's been a sensational Champions League week. Chelsea, let's just recap here, Ken. Chelsea overturned their two goal deaths against Paris Saint Germain. Real Madrid hung on in there despite getting destroyed by Dortmund. Yeah. Man United gave their fans. Hope for 30 seconds against Bayern Munich before it was cruelly extinguished. And Atletico Madrid knocked Barcelona out. What's the performance of the week there for you? I think Atletico. I think Atletico yeah, knocking out Barcelona. Good. Yeah. Um, keeping a clean sheet. And, and really hammering Barcelona. I mean, they hit the woodwork three times in the first half, you know, uh, in addition to the goal that they scored. Howard Webb was the referee, so there was a, basically a no penalties rule. Uh, there was definitely some... Penalties, I think, should have also happened there, and Howard Webb just not interested. And uh, yeah, I think overall as a team, I think as a player though, Marco Royce of Dortmund, absolutely fantastic performance against Real Madrid, um, scoring two goals. But it's just the way that he kind of glides around. It's he's incredible to watch. There was a through ball for Mkhitaryan, um, which took four Real Madrid players out of the game. I mean, he he. Have, took the ball in the just inside their half, kind of glided forward in this really smooth way that he has, just floating from side to side, and then just kind of prods the ball through this space. Four Madrid players out of the game. Mkhitaryan through one on one around the goalkeeper, hits the post. If that's if that goes in, it's dormant. There's no way Madrid are going to come back from that. Um, Jurgen Klopp was saying afterwards, you know, they should make a video of our game. It's, it was amazing what we did. Um, and pointed to the fact that Xabi Alonso should have been sent off. I mean, Xabi Alonso, um, was a Klopp said, I think the game had one crucial moment where Alonso committed a tactical foul that should have warranted a yellow card. And if you're already on one, you should get sent off. So that's 52 minutes into the game. Alonso, who had been booked, makes another one of these, mm. obviously, deliberate fouls. And uh, for with Real Madrid going down to 10 for 38 minutes, I think they would be out now. It's funny that you describe the... Royce type of movement is gliding mm. over the ground. What would you say Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo does, for example? 
Cristiano Ronaldo uh, pounding is too is too uh, kind of clumsy sounding. He almost eats up the ground. Eats it up like kind of a Pac-Man type of... Yeah, yeah, he moves like Pac-Man. No, actually, Leo Messi's a bit more like Pac-Man. He was... Uh, Ronaldo was performing as a, as a coach, as a sideline impresario in the, uh, in the... He was out there, you know, trying to G up the players. Um, actually, he seemed to be really angry with them that they were about to get him knocked out of the Champions League. That really seemed to be what he was communicating to them. Uh, his anger... And the consequences that would follow if they incompetently managed to get him. Now, he's actually injured at the moment. He's got some kind of a hamstring problem, which might keep him out now for a couple of weeks. This is a bad time in the season, obviously, to get an injury. Um, I'm sure they'll rush him back. But whether he's going to be fully fit uh, is... Uh, it's one of his great strengths is that he doesn't really get injured, does he? Oh, you don't think of him. He's a bit of a Jamie Easley, but completely just... Uh, and you start believing which is obviously ridiculous, but you start believing these guys can't get injured, which mm. uh, is not true of anybody. We have Daniel Harris and ESPN's John Bruin to talk United today. Um, particularly, we're going to talk about a few parts of the Manchester United story, but I do want to ask what happens now in terms of who makes a decision on David Moyes. Is it Alex Ferguson who brought him in? Does he have to do, do the dirty work now if they're getting rid of him? Or clearly the Glazers are supposed to make the, the big call here, but will Ferguson have an input in how will that all work out? We're also going to chat to Sid Lowe about what Ken believes was a performance of the week by Atletico Madrid knocking Barcelona out. It's time now for Ken Early's report on sport. So, uh, the Manchester United match, Owen, was uh, really quite an interesting game. I mean, there was, there was a lot of things about it. First of all, the, the real sort of ineffectual performance by Bayern in the first half, where they were just so tentative and scared of their own shadow, it seemed like. You know, so they knew, okay, we're, we're half a goal ahead here. They don't score, we're through. It seemed like they were playing against the idea of Manchester United rather than the reality. You know, I honestly felt that way. You thought that Bayern could get... No, I didn't think over two legs was a chance Manchester United could get knocked out. I'm not trying to say this is uh, the same as most people. Mm. But you felt that there was... That Bayern Munich might be the prisoners of history to a certain extent. Man United are a club they would have feared. I think so. I mean, I think they would have had... Again, you know, the the idea of, of United as opposed to... I mean, everyone's been watching... Everyone who's been watching the Premier League has seen how bad they've been. And has seen them lose all their all their big games, and at every every time they come up against the big challenge, they lose. Mm. And okay, that's how it turned out last night. But it it took a big slap in the face to wake Bayern Munich up. Literally, that's what Patrice Evra's goal seemed to do. It was like a slap that shook Munich out of this lethargy um, that they were in. And it's an incredible goal by Evra, and you you kind of feel you see a goal like that, and you think, okay. Destiny may now be at work here. If if Patrice ever scores that type of goal at this point in the game, such as this, there's some kind, there's something going on. And of course, that only lasted until the very next attack, when Bayern Munich immediately equalised through a great goal by Mandzukic, who I've got to say is such an impressive player. I mean, he is maybe not the technically best player at the club. Certainly, he's not. But in his application and the intensity of his game he's brilliant he's a brilliant center forward I mean, they're, they're signing Lewandowski now I, I'm not Lewandowski is a is a more agile kind of a quicker player he's a classier player but I don't know if he's necessarily better hmm. in a situation like that 
Yeah, okay. I, I'm not going to say Levin. Levin obviously is a guy who can make an impact of big so guys as well. So pardon me, ignorance, is Mandzukic on the way out of there? Or no, not, necess- they'll, they'll not necessarily. They'll work in together, yeah. Not necessarily. But, the, I mean, Pep Guardiola never plays more than one centre-forward, so yeah. I don't see him and Lewandowski spending much time on the field together. Um, and it seems to me he's too good a player um, to be a substitute. You know, maybe maybe they, maybe he will move on. I mean, he seems really determined to stay at Bayern, uh, and his performances certainly warrant that. It's funny that Bayern have come through this, uh, but a lot of people, including yourself, they've actually come... <laughs> maybe they've raised some doubts about themselves by the failure to do this comprehensively. Well, they, ultimately, they did do it comprehensively. Uh, well, yeah, but I guess, you know, with, and, with, and with, you, with half an hour to go, they were on the way out. And, and, oh, and they, they, they did it comprehensively in the other sense of being completely dominant in both matches in terms of possession. Now, it didn't, it didn't start translating into goals until the last half hour of the tie mm. um, when they realised, my God, we're actually going to be eliminated. Uh, this would be a, a massive disgrace. Uh, and... You know, they managed to find an extra level. And it was funny that, like, after that point, all of the things that Manchester United had been shutting down, um, I mean, Ribery had got nowhere in the first half. Just every time he got the ball, Jones stopped him. Suddenly, he was going past him every time. He was just uh, beating his man at will. And, you know, Robin, Robin, who'd been kind of running up blind alley, suddenly gets the ball. I mean, the goal that he scored, he, got, he picked up the ball in his own half. You know, they yeah. couldn't get near him. He, he just moves forward. Nobody can get near him. And he's just kind of sidestepping challenges. And at that moment, you could see the kind of class. You're thinking, okay, this is why Bayern Munich have been to three Champions League finals. And this is why they could be the first team to get to three in a row since Juventus uh, nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, Guardiola afterwards, <laughs> quite different from Mourinho. We're going to be talking quite a lot about Mourinho now. Might as well bring him in at this point. Yeah. Guardiola was saying, you know, um, I didn't have time to talk. After, the, after that goal went in, I didn't have any time to give any instructions to my players. I can't claim credit for what happened. You know, they, they scored that equalizing goal before I had a chance to even... He said create. No, no, create is the wrong word. He was speaking in English at this point. He's speaking in his English-German hybrid. The German is coming up and up into the English, and he keeps bringing in German phrases now. But uh, create is the wrong word. Uh, you know, even to think of any... Uh, any new ideas like you know, what am I going to do um, the players that equalised whereas Jose Mourinho on the other hand uh, yeah he <laughs> I mean we saw him running to the to the team running to his players uh, and then uh, you know grabbing Torres's head and sort of shouting into Torres's ear and telling Ba to do this and then afterwards coming out and explaining exactly what he was saying claiming credit for absolutely everything that happened and also more or less claiming to have foreseen the whole thing uh, you know all the formations we used we practiced in training you know uh, Terry was saying all the scenarios you know 1-0 2-1 3-1 what do we do we practiced everything you know everything essentially the whole future had been foreseen that sounds like out. well that sounds like what they're doing there is being professional footballers yeah <laughs> well you know you know, I mean, it's like that really thing. Really, your job I'm, to put yourself in those. I'm scenarios. reminded of what you were saying before. Was it who was it talking about corners? It was it was one of the Manchester United players talking about working at. Set oh, pieces. Gary Neville was talking about. Uh, oh yeah, we used to spend a lot of time with uh, Lars Bergs, maybe forty minutes a week. Forty <laughs> minutes what? a week, something along those lines. Like right? one class a week <laughs> in school. Yeah. Spend on defending set pieces. One of the main things that you'd imagine you can prepare prepare for. But, you know, um, Chelsea, and this is a great result by Chelsea as well. I mean, the performance, I think, was impressive because of the quality of the team they were up against and the fact that 
in Paris didn't really have too many chances. At 2-0, actually, was their best, their cl- the closest they came to a goal when it was a great save by Petr Cech. Uh, and then there was chances for Cavani, which he, he missed because he's always... He's really always liable to miss half the time. Half the time he'll take the net off and half the time he knocks it over the bar. So Chelsea maybe got a bit lucky there, but you have to say it was a great performance. Certainly a good, it was a well-timed one for Mourinho, who had obviously had a few setbacks in recent times and slagging off the players. Demba Ba actually nearly burst out crying in an interview on French television because uh, he was obviously scored the, the yeah. goal. He spent most of the time as the sub for Fernando Torres, which is not a good place to be at Chelsea. It's like the uh, line from Gordon Strachan when he apparently told, I think it was a Celtic players or whatever, came out and said, oh, the, uh, nobody at the club can look can look uh, at themselves in any way, in positive light after this result. They said, well, what about the substitutes? And he goes, well, they, were, they, they weren't even good enough to be in that team. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, bah. although Mourinho actually said in a weird, uh, he said, uh, I put him on before Torres. That way he didn't have the feeling of being the number three striker. I was like, well, Torres obviously did on this occasion. I mean, you could see the three of them then. Eto and Ba were celebrating together um, and shouting out, as I was shouting out to his brother, my little brother, Demba, on uh, on uh, Twitter. But then they kind of, uh, Eto called Torres over, you know, ah, Fernando. And they kind of, Torres sort of awkwardly joins in. <laughs> you can see he's, he's not really part of the group. But uh, Demba Ba was saying, you know, we've three great strikers. I think a lot of clubs would like to have us three. And, uh, and Mourinho saying... Um, Just not this club. He's saying, uh, I'm happy for him. Good guy, a good professional, a good group man. Which one? Uh, Demba Ba. So the, the highest of praise for, <laughs> for Demba Ba. Good club man savior, is Demba Ba. A good club man. Now Mourinho has... Most improved player. Has also been fined eight grand and warned uh, to his conduct by the FA after his... Um, Bilious uh, remarks about uh, the referee Chris Foy. This was the ref when Villa beat Chelsea, sent over a couple of Chelsea players. But the main headache for him this week is the publication today of uh, the special one, The Dark Side of Jose Mourinho by Diego Torres, the uh, correspondent of El País, uh, one of uh, Spain's most respected broadsheets. Um, uh, and I've trans- heard a lot of, yeah, and I, I just want to, because we talked a bit about this in our first show, but. For the people who haven't heard, this is as excited as I've seen Ken about a book oh. for a long, long time. A lot. I'm, I'm talking years. There was uproarious laughter in various corners <laughs> of the studio and the office over the last 24 hours. Or so. <laughs> it's a pretty funny book, you have to say, and it's got all these fantastic ingredients. First of all, insider knowledge, right? Uh, lots of inside knowledge uh, uh, told in a in a gripping uh, sort of manner, and also lots of dramatic scenes of. Absolute farce. Uh, okay. Where does the inside knowledge come from? Diego Torres' sources within the Real Madrid uh, club. But they're definitely... So, just to explain, it's not... This person does seem to be very... Sorry, this person. Diego Torres is very well-connected. Yeah, well-connected with, with players and, yeah. and members of uh, staff and has been publishing for a, for a long time these kind of stories. Like, for instance, I think it was Diego Torres who had the story about the, you know, the dressing room confrontation with Ramos. Oh, what, what would you know? Ramos says to me, you know, About corners, yeah. What, what you do you know? You never played the game. What do you know about marking at corners? Um, you know, this kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and how Mourinho would be constantly accusing the players. Oh, the goat. Casillas emerges as this. I think Diego Torres, you know, I don't know, Owen. I just wouldn't be surprised if maybe Diego Torres and... and yeah, uh, Iker Casillas had had a conversation at some time. 
You know, I just, I would be surprised if those guys hadn't met each other at some point and maybe had a few words. I just, this is an example of the kind of stuff you find in this book. So, uh, Jose Mourinho, uh, Barcelona have just drawn one all with Madrid. The, the thing about it that annoyed uh, Mourinho was that cause, uh, the team uh, it turned out to leak before the match. Team got out. The, the, the team that they were going to play. Um, now, they drew one all, and the crowd applauded their team off with a certain relief because they lost to Barcelona 2 0 and 6 2 the last two times they played them uh, in Madrid. Um, they filed out of the stadium reasonably content, the crowd that is. Not so Mourinho. He waited for the team in the dressing room before issuing a torrent of accusations and insults that distorted his face until he began to sob loudly. You're traitors! I asked you not to speak with anyone about the team selection, but you betrayed me. It shows you're not on my side. You're sons of bitches. The only friend I have in this dressing room is Granero. I'm not even sure I can trust Granero anymore. You've left me all on my own. You're the most treacherous squad I've had in my life. Nothing more than sons of bitches. Uh, Mourinho was filled with such intense emotion, he grabbed a can of Red Bull and hurled it against the wall. It exploded, and drops of the sugary energy drink ran down the faces of those nearest him. <laughs> Squatting on the ground, some say he was kneeling. He rattled off a further series of insults. Then, getting up, he wiped the tears from his face and announced he was going to speak with Perez, the president of Madrid, and Sanchez, the director, because they would be able to find the mole. He promised reprisals and made an analogy between martial law and football. If I'm in Vietnam and I see you laugh at a mate, I'd grab a gun with my own hands and kill you. Now it's you yourselves who have to look for the one that leaked the lineup. So, uh, <laughs> you're thinking, okay, right. Did this, did this really happen? Mourinho says, oh, this guy should write children's books. You know, his, he's got an amazing imagination. So now that the book has been published in Eng- England, and I suppose it's subject to England's harsh libel laws, is the time for Jose Mourinho to, <laughs> to step in and punish Diego Torres if he feels that a bunch of lies have, have been written about him. It, I find this book really interesting because uh, not only do, do you get to see this sort of, this a lot of stories about... The well, if, if that's of, only one of the many stories, that's one then of I, many. I look forward to reading the rest that, of them. That's one of many. I mean... A lot of weeping, by the sense of it. A lot of, a lot of weeping, a lot of, a lot of uh, outbursts of emotion. Um, the stuff about um, Pedro Leon, really interesting. Uh, how, how Mourinho, early on in his time in, in Madrid, sort of uh, took down this Pedro Leon player, um, put him on as a sub was apparently angry with him, uh, then had a goal in the dressing room afterwards, and Pedro Leon is like, well, why? He literally doesn't know. Mourinho's heard something that Leon has been going around blabbing, saying, oh, I should be in the team. You know, I'm, a, I'm a big star. And, uh, you know, so Mourinho apparently says, I've heard, this is after a game where he's put him on as a sub. Uh, Leon has, he thinks, played quite well. Mm-hmm. And then back in the dressing room, Mourinho pointed the finger of blame Calling the attention of the other players, pointed the finger of blame at the hapless Spaniard. I've heard you're going around like a star, saying you have to be starting out and doing whatever the hell you like. Your friends in the press, Santiago Segurola, they say you're a star. But what you've got to learn is train hard, not go around saying you have to be a starter. You're going to be left out of the squad for several games. On Monday, you won't be going to Auxerre. I didn't say that. The accused responded, stood. Tell me, who have I told I should be starting? We should talk in private. Please, boss, let's talk in private. Mourinho sneered before turning around. The dressing room is electrified. Uh, the coach, the players did not understand what had happened to make the coach ruthlessly belittle someone who seemed so vulnerable, a 23-year-old newcomer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, so they start following everything he says, you know, they're like, Mourinho spoke with a mixture of cruelty and pleasure. The sadistic nature of the rant unsettled the squad. It was the first time the players felt the manager represented a threat. Gradually, they began to follow his every public appearance, blah, blah, blah. But one other thing on this. Yeah. 
which I think is an interesting strand to it. And I have, I've only read the first little part of the book. And talking about when Mourinho arrived. And, um, the, you know, he, he, he obviously comes from Inter, having just won the Champions League. Very, um, very powerful position that he came to the club in. They'd agreed to sort of hand over the whole thing. Okay, you make all the decisions because... This is always the issue at Madrid, that they don't really value coaches that much. They're mm. always changing. Really, Perez or whoever happens to be the man in charge at the time wants the running of the club. Uh, that, so when Mourinho went there, there was... He's the real boss. Yeah, you know, there was a doubt about whether he would fit in. And it's been this... Uh, anytime Wenger is linked with that job, it doesn't seem to make sense because Wenger would want too much control. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think Wenger's ever going to be going there. But, you know, Mourinho... The really interesting thing about this is that when he when he arrives in, and so they're talking about the Real Madrid training ground, and Mourinho wouldn't always take the training. You know, he had that English habit of, ah, what am I coach? What do I pay my coaches for? Apparently, you know, he'd sometimes wander down and take off his shirt to display his naked torso, and walk off alone to the fields in the westerly direction, put the shirt in the grass and lie down. Nobody dared interrupt the coach except Royston Drente, who you remember Royston Drente? Yeah. He played for Everton briefly. What are you doing, boss? Asked Trenta, who was obviously, you know, a, a callow youth. Uh, I think my tan is fading, said Mourinho. I think waiting for... for so he would just go just off and lie asked. in the field. Just lie there with his, you know, tanning Sunday. himself. Yeah. Right. Um, but the the thing is that the players, it's, it's, it's said in this book, the players began to think, George. they talk about George Mendes, he's turning up a lot. There he is in his, in his light woolen Italian suit, uh, discreet yet fashionable haircut, uh, overpowering stench of money. Um, Mourinho would, would apparently, obviously, Mendes being his agent as well as the agent of players like Ronaldo and various other players, would suck up to this guy. He's the only guy Mourinho seemed to be like a pussycat around, you know, his, his own agent. You wouldn't believe the money this guy has, says Mourinho, joking with the players. You know, Casillas sort of picks up his tray and walks away. You know? <laughs> I was reminded of that Alex Ferguson introducing Roy Keane to... Magner and McManus, wasn't it, at the Leverkusen match in 2002? And, oh, meet them, come and meet my new friends, Roy. And Keane just sort of looking at them and then just turning on his heel, like, oh, actually, I don't, I'm not really that interested. But Mourinho boasting about Mendes, the players began to wonder if Mendes worked in the building. This was the, and Mourinho's agent. Now, this is what I think is the, this is the, a really damaging allegation in this book. Uh, the allegation being that Mourinho, uh, okay, he's he's signing for Madrid. He he wants absolute power. He wants to sign the players and so on. He wanted control over what the press published and absolute power and team affairs. Um, uh, the project mapped out by Mourinho and Mendes as they negotiated his departure from Inter included the signing of Hugo Almeida at the very latest in the winter transfer window. Hugo Almeida for Real Madrid, mm-hmm. right? At six foot three, dominating the air, Almeida was a classic target man, the perfect choice to complete complete the direct style of play, long balls, bypassing midfield, that would provide an alternative in attack and a shortcut when more elaborate football was not possible. As a goal scorer, he was not on the wanted list of any of the top clubs in Europe. Averaging 13 goals a season in four years at Werder Bremen, he had a worse record than both Higuain and Benzema. But Almeida had an added feature that made him particularly attractive. He was the most important number nine on Gestefute's books, Gestefute being the agency run by George Mendes, mm-hmm. and which Jose Mourinho is part of. There seemed no market for him. The best offers he'd received so far were from Turkey. So, I mean, can you be serious? So what the book then says, there were people at Gestefute who, upon learning of Mourinho's desire to push Madrid into signing Almeida, tried to persuade Mendes against it so as not to lose credibility with Paris. They argued the president might end up thinking Mourinho was more interested in doing business 
than building a competitive team. In the opinion of these experts, the most prudent business plan would consist of three stages. First, signing excellent players. Second, winning major titles. Third, with the endorsement of the trophies, buying ordinary and perhaps even overrated players. Mourinho broke with this plan of progressive action. He was so sure of his power, he tried to advance to third base in the first attack. Now, really? That's, a, that's very interesting. It is, know? yeah. To suggest that and, and we wait to see. So far, you say all Jose has said about this book is fiction. Just dismissed. Imagination, it imagination. That's 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 a really interesting thing. I mean, Torres says about uh, about Mourinho. Um, he works on three things. This is him in an interview. Actually, this is the author speaking in an interview. He works on three things: defense, physical, and psychological preparation. The attacking side, the elaborated plays, the ball possession, things that Barcelona practice are something he is not interested in. I'm not sure whether he doesn't know how to put that style into practice, or simply it's something he's not interested in. Um, he he basically says the cult of personality. It's it's about propaganda about the cult of personality. Simple football that you can transfer to different clubs. He doesn't stay there very long. You know, it's a it's a very uh, a withering uh, assessment of Mourinho. But you know, who's in the semi-finals of the Champions League? I look League? forward to you finishing that book and bringing us some sport extracts. That is the end of Ken Early's report on sport. Dryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, no, he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Daniel Harris and John Bruin are going to talk to us right now about Manchester United and just where they're at now, where the season is, given that everything is almost gone from them uh, at this point. John, I'll just start with you, and this is something that we've been talking about a little bit. Is four two, a 4-2 defeat in any way um, a reasonable result for Manchester United over the two legs against Bayern Munich? It is a perfectly reasonable result for, for David Moyes, but it's probably not a reasonable result for Manchester United. Um, that said, Manchester United's record in the Champions League has not been fantastic well, since 2011. But you've got to say that there's something about Moyes that seems almost accepting of that type of performance, that type of defeat. It was almost a sort of, well, we almost nicked it, but it didn't quite happen for us. In my opinion, Bayern Munich were there for the taking in the game. Now, it may well be that they only raised the game when they realised they might be in some trouble, and that there was certainly a case for that. But... Moyes escapes with some element of credit, you have to say, but not nearly enough for me. Daniel, is it is it possible that maybe on a human level you can understand what John talks about there, that David Moyes escaped what many people thought might be a hammering in at least one of those two games? So maybe he, uh, for somebody who's been under quite a lot of press, pressure and presumably quite stressed out about it, you can maybe see why he's he's reasonably happy to accept that but from manchester united's point of view like is that good enough that you can that i could even be asking the question about a 4-2 result being decent for them well if we deal with things that moyes says so how accepting he is so for example he said it's a great competition we've really enjoyed it if you were to collate all the things like that that he said this season there would be no cause at all to why as to why he should be manchester united manager but if we look at what we actually saw on the pitch and forget the stuff that he says for a second mm. 
it's kind of hard to see that as what Manchester United are meant to do. Because ultimately, to say that United did well to avoid a hiding, the bottom line is United have really good players. And the fact that United have been so poor this season is a reflection first on the players and how badly they've done, and also on his ability to extract the kind of performances that managers of United are supposed to do. So it's hard to see how things are going to improve significantly, or at least going forward, I can't believe I used that phrase, going forward, but going forward, um, how Moyes, he might buy better players and make a better team, but what you want from a manager who's supposed to be really good is the ability to make the difference in the tight games. And we saw last night when Munich went down and then when they equalised, Guardiola bought on Rafinha, and that's where the next goals came from. Moyes did absolutely nothing about that. Instead, he eventually took off Darren Fletcher and put Wayne Rooney into his position because heaven forfend that Wayne Rooney will be removed from the team even when he's not fit and playing awfully. Well, this is this was something that I was going to ask about, Daniel, because Wayne Rooney last night gave a disgraceful performance, which I suppose is, is mitigated slightly by the fact that he clearly wasn't fit to play. You know, he's taken an injection. God knows what they'd given him to dull the pain, but it seemed to pretty much dull everything about him. Now, the question has to be, why is he in the team? I mean, Moyes is talking afterwards about how important he is, but a one-legged Wayne Rooney is no good to anybody. He had somebody like Hernandez on the bench. Um, is, it, is, the, is the problem here that Moyes is simply so enthralled to start? That Rooney is effectively so much more powerful than David Moyes that he can't drop him for a game like that, even if he can't realistically play. It's very peculiar how this has happened, the reverence for Rooney, because Moyes was told very explicitly, as we all were, exactly what to do with Rooney by Fergie. And yeah, there'd been a fallout there, but Fergie's fallouts don't tend to come when people are still of use to him. In general, he falls out with people once he's had enough of them, like Keane Van Nistelrooy, and once he's had enough of them as players and thinks that the best thing for the team is that they go. But I think Moyes, and perhaps I'm being unduly suspicious here, but saw a line of blame such that if he sold if he sold Rooney to Chelsea, say, which was where he would have gone, and Chelsea win the league, then the cause of that happening is very obvious, and so therefore is the blame. Whereas he's kept Rooney and now the blame can be the ageing squad and the players haven't played well and the fixtures were unreasonable and bad luck and all that kind of thing. So last night I can understand why he gambled on Rooney because Rooney is a good player. I mean, I'm not saying that he's not good. The question really is whether he is a player as good as those that United have had in the past and should have in that position. Uh, I would say not. But as I say, I can understand why he gambled on him. Why he stayed on so long is is mystifying. I, I have no idea. I have nothing to offer there. John, I'm wondering what you make of that whole situation with Rooney because the contract is the contract that he was given is obviously a record contract, best paid player in the league, quite a long contract as well. Um, it strikes me he's going to be around for a little while, uh, Wayne Rooney, and maybe maybe that's going to be the most lasting damage of this season. I mean, you've got a player there who occupies a really central role. He's essentially the fulcrum of the attacking part of the team. And he may no longer be of the required calibre. Well, I, I, I think Rooney's fade has been apparent for quite a while. I mean, Daniel said, you know, Wayne Rooney's not a good enough player to play that position. The thing is, he used to be uh, good enough to play that position. And that's a problem with, with Rooney. Um, it suited Rooney better to stay at United than it suited United better to keep Wayne Rooney. That's That's been my view of it. Um I'm sure that his agents, Paul Stretford, obviously, wanted to get a deal for him. Uh, they looked around, no one was really interested. But Moyes, 
Moyes' reliance on him and also Ed Woodward as well. Ed Woodward, in a similar way to Moyes, could not be seen to be the person that sold Wayne Rooney to an English club because, let's face it, they're the only clubs that would buy him. And then Wayne Rooney, say, comes through and wins the league for Chelsea, wins the Champions League for Chelsea, something like that. So they were painted into a corner by probably sharper operators, and that's Paul Stretford and Wayne Rooney. And as for Rooney the player, now, I mean, you say his performance was really bad. It was pretty poor. But the thing is, the night before, um, slightly different situation, but Eden Hazard is the player that Chelsea rely on so much. Jose Mourinho removed him after 20 minutes, made a brave substitution, the player comes on. Can anyone see David Moyes developing at over 50 years old the ability to make such sharp substitutions that change the game for the better even when you lose such a good player? The issue, Yeah, but the issue on Rooney, I guess, John, is that, and I know Ken has talked for quite a while about it being potentially a bad move for Man United, the, the issue is that and particularly now they're out of the Champions League, the calibre of players that they might be able to get in to replace him or now to actually play alongside him. Because now we do have the real prospect of uh, players not wanting to go to Manchester United anymore because they probably are looking at it and thinking, well, we don't know if the manager's particularly good. They're not in the Champions League uh, or they may well not be in the Champions League and there, there just mightn't be a future there. The Mata signing was there was a particular set of circumstances there whereby he was out of favour at Chelsea and really wanted to move. Are they going to be reduced pretty soon to going for gambles, like maybe some spectacular bid for Fernando Torres or a player like that? <laughs> Fernando Torres, wow. Yeah, that 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 would be amazing. That really would be amazing. Um, I was watching Fernando Tor- Atletico last night and thinking, Fernando Torres wants to go back there, some hope. Anyway, mm-hmm. um but just, yeah. I suppose it's a very long-winded question, but are we at a, at really at the point now where, and this has been the fear but for Manchester United, that next season, that they're going to struggle because everyone says, well, you know, if they back Moyes, they'll give him loads of money, or if they get rid of him, they'll bring somebody else in and give him loads of money. But will people want, will the, the right players want to go to Manchester United then? Yeah, that's got to be a question, but Manchester United have never really bought marquee players in the same way. I mean, you go back to the 90s where they failed to sign players like Batistuta. They signed younger players that make it up through the ranks. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo is the shining example of that. The question is, of course, is whether those younger players, those prospects, want to go to Manchester United now. I mean, a lot of them would want to go there to work with Sir Alex Ferguson. David Moyes is not that type of coach. He doesn't have that type of cachet. Um... The thing is, though, look at the example of other managers in the Premier League this season who've dealt well in the transfer market uh, and have also coached their teams. Now, I'm thinking of Roberto Martinez and I'm thinking of Brendan Rodgers. Unremarkable squads, you would say, apart from a couple of players in both in both cases, have managed to get something from them. Look at the squad list of Manchester United compared to those two teams. You'd have to say that it's stronger Again, we have to go back to Moyes as being part of the problem. The issue is now that the talk is in Manchester that he will probably get till Christmas again. This season's been a lost season for Manchester United. Are we going looking at another season being a lost season for Manchester United? Say he gets to Christmas and it's not good enough. There's a caretaker to the end of the season. That's two years for a club like Manchester United with the success they've had for the last two decades. That is almost impossible to consider or it was almost impossible to consist, consider, but now it's become reality. What do you make of that, Daniel? Uh, Moyes until Christmas. I've got to say, I didn't realise that the Glazers were such 
um, compulsive gamblers. Uh, they must be addicted to risk if they want to, you know, keep David Moyes on, given that he's flunked every test this season, every big game they've had. I mean, I can think of a, you know, they, they beat Arsenal at home, they, they drew at home to Chelsea, and they managed to turn that result around against Olympiacos. And every single other big game they've had, they've, they've been defeated this season. To me, that's, uh, he, he's, he's completely failed. He's got to go, and yet they want to, they want to keep him on. They, they're, they're gamblers. And I think even the games that you mentioned, the Olympiacos game, Olympiacos had the better chances, but United ended up winning and they kind of made that into this big triumphant comeback, which it wasn't really. Do you, Chelsea, do you think, so, Daniel, that, that, you know, the? I mean, I know that the club, to a certain extent, uh, the, this idea of, of stability, of patience, of loyalty is, is part of what Manchester United supporters, some of them any, anyway, think makes their club a little bit special. Um, is there a critical mass of supporters still willing to take that line? Maybe it's difficult at the moment, but keeping the faith is sometimes difficult to keep the faith with David Moyes. Uh, it's interesting use of the word faith, because like, to me, it's much more of a faith than of a belief, i.e. there's no real basis for holding it. Um, I don't know very many people that think Moyes should stay. There are a few, but certainly amongst the people that I know, most of them want him to go. And to go back actually to something that John said about um, about Brendan Rodgers and about Martinez and coaching, to me, I think even more significant than the coaching is what they do to make the players believe that they can win. Because ultimately, the players are... They've been playing football a long time. They roughly know what's required of them. They're good players. And the main thing about football, given it's a fairly simple game compared to most other team sports, is, is confidence. And that was, Fergie's main, that was Fergie's main thing that he brought to the table, was his ability to make the players believe that they were better than they were and that they could beat anyone. And it didn't really matter who was playing. And I think that's the kind of confidence that you see Everton playing with now and the kind of confidence that you see somehow Brendan Rodgers with all the speak David Brent speak has managed to impart to Liverpool. They go into every game thinking that they're better than the players they're playing against, thinking as individuals that they're better than their opposite number. And the way that they play reflects that. Whereas Moyes has spent most of the season criticising the players, saying that um, they only won the league last season flukely, they've got no chance in Europe, as though he would know what's required in Europe more than they would, that it was an ageing squad, that it needed more work than he thought, he underestimated the job, and all of that kind of thing. And players, although they have this confidence that they got from Fergie, they're, they're human beings, and you constantly hear that. Number one, is aggravating, and it's not the kind of thing that's going to foster the kind of team spirit that enables the comebacks and the unlikely victories that you need, but also just the kind of mood it creates around United is, is a negative one, and that's something that Fergie never, never had. I, I wonder, though, uh, Daniel, are the players, is there a bit of conceit hear from these players. I mean, could somebody like Brendan Rodgers or Roberto Martinez, uh, I mean, Martinez did manage to win the FA Cup, but, you know, Rodgers, zero titles, as Jose Mourinho might say, to come in uh, to a club like Manchester United and take over, would he not face the same problems that David Moyes has had? I mean, I, you know, it's clear that Moyes has a, has a flair for negative uh, expression. I mean, even just last night, he's talking about uh, schoolboy if you're schoolboy, you get told if you score, make sure you don't concede right away. The only crime was conceding a goal so soon after he'd scored. That was the biggest crime. So schoolboys and criminals are the images that he reaches for to talk about the uh, players. But I, I wonder, though, if any coach who hadn't already won a whole lot of stuff would be capable of walking into that Manchester United, um, walking into the club now and taking over that team. Because it seems like these players think they might be a bit too good to accept direction from, uh, you know, small fry like David Moyes. 
Well, I think like obviously there will be conceit. I mean, they're modern day footballers. They're people. There will there will be conceit. But I think that once you get over the who are you to tell me what to do, which you're going to get from players who've won everything with a manager who won nothing, you then move on to the point where that manager has the opportunity to try and win people around with force of personality. And that's what you've seen Brendan Rodgers do at Liverpool. And you've seen Roberto Martinez do in a very different way. The players need to have confidence in what you're doing. And ultimately, you can talk as much as you like, but it comes through what you do. And as with most things in life where you wonder what to do, you wonder what Roy Keane would say. And I think that I remember when um, United played, um, he was talking, United played Madrid and then Madrid went on to win the European Cup and he was talking about Raul. And he said, like, when Raul won the European Cup, there was no crying, there was no emotional behaviour, there was, I deserve this, I've earned this and this is what I do. And Moyes has very much given the impression of a bloke who can't quite believe that he's there. And it started from the very beginning when, Fergie invited him round to his house to get the job. Then Moyes was worried when he went to Fergie's house that he was, wasn't sufficiently smartly dressed. And then it wasn't, would you like to do the job? It was, you are the Manchester United manager. And everything has continued in that vein and through all his pronouncements and um, from what you hear also on the training ground, that it's, it's thinking small. Whereas you get someone like Brendan Rodgers and it's all very easy to laugh at the stuff that he says, but no one could accuse him of thinking small. And it creates the kind of atmosphere that allows people to succeed and to really get the best from themselves and from him to get the best from them. John, does Alex Ferguson call David Moyes around to his house this summer <laughs> uh, to have another chat with him? Or, or who actually makes the decision this time around? Well, I, I think the days of Ferguson making big decisions are gone after this one's gone so wrong. Um, there is talk... Uh, from those around United that one of the reasons that Ferguson was allowed to make this decision was that this would be Ferguson's call so that if it went wrong it's not their call and Ferguson could be blamed um, Ferguson's power at the club is not quite as strong as people would have you believe he's yesterday's man I was at Old Trafford earlier this season and I heard an interesting conversation between a couple of people who uh, were very well connected at Manchester United and were saying that he's now lost the room in which he used to entertain his friends in there. Um, Ferguson, I would suggest, uh, you know, he will still be at the games. We've talked before about what, you know, his, his, uh, his presence there, but his presence among making the decisions is probably over after the David Moyes adventure. Um, the people making the decisions will be the Glazers. The big problem is that nobody really knows what the Glazers think because they don't speak. So we're waiting for them to change things. And uh, I think only then do we actually see the Glazer run Manchester United because previously it's been a Ferguson run Manchester United. But that day is gone now, I think. And it seems to me, John, that that, that could be another problem because given the lack of trust that there clearly is from most of the supporters towards the Glazers, any manager they hire um, is going to to come in automatically with that sort of black mark against his name. This, whoever it is, is, is the Glazers' man. Well, that's true. But, I mean, they, they might start with the fact that they're not David Moyes. Right, that is yeah. going to be a benefit to them. Um, listen, I think a lot of Manchester United fans probably now uh, would want Jose Mourinho. We don't think that's going to happen now. Uh, or they'd want somebody like Diego Simeone. Uh, somebody who... Okay, say in the first season, things didn't happen for them. They didn't win a trophy. Someone who at least might point, or Jurgen Klopp, someone who might point to this, be something developing. 
one of Moise's greatest crimes, a schoolboy error, you might say, <laughs> is that what he hasn't done is produce anything that promises for the future. Manchester United's future looks quite bleak because David Moyes doesn't seem to have any particular plan in place, no tactical nuances, uh, no instilling of the confidence that Daniel speaks of. It has been a disaster for him. Um, it, it seems that he might get longer to be either disastrous or turn it around. Yeah, so the exact thing that he was brought in for, which was long-term structure and stability, is one of the big things that he doesn't seem to be bringing to the table. John Bruin, Daniel Harris, brilliant stuff. Thanks to you both. Cheers. Cheers. I am really fascinated by this dynamic that John has talked quite a lot about there. It's This is as old as... But certainly, Bill Shankly is one, Matt Busby... Uh, and many other great managers what the dynamic of what happens when they finish mm-hmm. and how the club can treat them respectfully which often they just decide not to do yeah. um, but also how do they mm, try to persuade them that really you shouldn't be wielding any power at this point and Alex Ferguson th- even that anecdote there that he had a room for his friends which now he, d- he doesn't have <laughs> yeah. at the club these kind of things yeah, that, that would, I would imagine that would stick Alex Ferguson oh, yeah. and the question now is how much He's a director of the club. He's a former manager. How much of a say do you give him in what happens with David Moyes this summer? Uh, well, he's going to have some say. I think he should have. Board. I think he should have some say. I mean, he he all the say. Should he make the decision? No, uh, but I think he definitely should have uh, should have input into it because, to me, you know, uh, there, there is still a way in which he is the club, <laughs> which is maybe part of the problem. Mm. You know, uh, maybe he became too much the club. And and now that he's no longer there, or not, now that he's no longer in the real position of, uh, you know, um, formal authority, that's the, 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 the but, but according to John, there are suggestions that the people at the club are happy enough for Ferguson to take the yeah take to take the decision on Moyes because if if that goes right, then everybody looks good, yeah. and if it goes wrong, they can maybe say, well, you know, we have we had to let Alex yeah I, well, and I think so. I mean, to be honest, if I'd been in their position, I probably he would have been the person I would be asking. You'd be asking Ferguson to ask. I think so. I'd be, I'd be wants. saying, look, what do you think? You know, because I, I would have. I mean, there's, there are people say things like, this is quite a thing you hear quite often. Ferguson picks someone who'd make him look good. No, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe it for a second. Yeah. You know, um, I think he wanted David Moyes. I think he really wants David Moyes to be a success. Oh yeah. But I do think that much as David Moyes is in a position that he's never been in before, as in he's doing a job he hasn't done. He's never managed a team at that level. Hmm. Alex Ferguson was also doing something that he had never done. He was acting as a CEO. Yeah. And uh, I know that a lot of the way he operates is along those lines. He's more than just a, a coach. In fact, he's not... Joey Barton would say that he, he can barely put out the cones yeah. as a coach. But still, that's a, making a big recruitment decision like that is usually done by other people and not the manager of the club. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, he, he'd obviously never had to sign a manager before. Yeah. Uh, and he did sign some bad players along with the good ones. Signed some bad players, you know. Did a lot of business with George Mendes, of course. He's... He, he comes up in that uh, <laughs> Ferguson's close relationship with George Mendes comes up in the Mourinho book. And of course, maybe maybe it would have been good to have Jose Mourinho in there to provide some continuity. Maybe George Mendes could have had an office at Manchester United's <laughs> training ground uh, in and out. I don't think that's going to happen under David Moyes. Let's um, talk about Atletico Madrid with Sid Lowe. Sid, there have been quite a few key moments this season which have been statements, have been convincing statements by Atletico. Is beating Barcelona, knocking them out of the Champions League, the biggest statement they've made yet? Um, 
I suppose it was simply because it's because it's over two legs. I think makes a difference. The fact that you know you you look back, for example, on last year's Copa del Rey final where they beat Real Madrid at Santiago Bernabéu, and personally, I think that emotionally that's the biggest thing they've done. Um, but of course, there was this sense that well, it was a one-off. That kind of thing can happen. But a two-legged game against Barcelona in the Champions League, particularly the way they played in the second leg, where they they really could have won by by a bigger distance as well. Um, the fact that it's in Europe, which means that everyone else is looking that they've reached semi-final where they haven't been for 40 years uh, I, I think makes this the biggest statement but but as you say I mean this is this has been happening consistently uh, beating Real Madrid in the in the Copa del Rey final last year beating them in the league this year bear in mind it had taken them 14 years to beat Real Madrid uh, beating Chelsea in the in the Supercopa beating Athletic Bilbao in the Europa League although I think even then we could feel like well it's not that big a deal they've won it even without Simeone now we're in a position where every time we think some, at some point, the wheels are going to come off. The wheels just keep keep refusing to come off. They're a strange team because they, and for, for years, have been almost chronically bankrupt. And yet they've managed to assemble a team, including many of, apparently, the most talented players in the Champions League. What's the economic underpinning of that? How have they managed to assemble such a good team? Well, if you look at the, the, the price of the players they've got, it hasn't been with money, basically. Um, Falcao, of course, was sold for 46 million euros. Admittedly, was bought for a lot of money as well, but that was almost entirely funded by the by the transfer of Sergio Aguero. Beyond that, the most expensive player in the squad is 12 million euros. So we're not talking about a, a you know a really really cheap team, but we're talking about a relatively cheap team. We're talking about a club with a, a budget of 120 million euros a year compared to Real Madrid, which is 580 million euros a year. Um, and what they've done, I think, is that they've to some extent, simplified the style, um, increased the intensity. There isn't a player in the team, uh, I really think there isn't a single player in the team who hasn't improved under Simeone, who hasn't performed better than anyone could have expected under Simeone, except possibly Adrian. And Adrian played last night, having been left out of the squad even for five of the last six games, and was brilliant replacing Diego Costa. So I think when, when you look at how they've done this, in a way, the answer is, you don't know how they've done it. And that makes the, the achievement uh, uh, of what they've done even greater because this isn't a team that's been built on money. This is a team, to use Thiago's phrase, they, they, you know, who said that they, they were a bit like um, the Robin Hood of football, rich, robbing from the rich and, and, and continuing to achieve despite being relatively poor. Now, they're not a poor side, but comparatively, they will be by a very, very, very long way the poorest side in the Champions League semi-finals. Yeah, um, Barcelona, I guess this is uh, the most disappointing aspect of it. I mean, among many, it's like they couldn't even score a goal last night um, and uh, and looked clueless, really, at times. The poor old manager there, Tata Martino, is a total lame duck now, isn't he? I mean, the, the guy who hired him uh, has had to resign in disgrace uh, a few weeks back, and he's sort of limping on there, but uh, probably not for too many more weeks. No, I think last night did him an enormous amount of damage, not just the fact that they were knocked out, because, of course, that was plausible. I think no one's under any illusions that Atletico Madrid are a genuinely good side that make things very, very difficult for teams they come up against. So, in that sense, it wasn't the, it's not the fact that Barcelona have been knocked out that I think is necessarily problematic, although, by definition, not reaching the semi-final for the first time in seven years is a big deal. I think it's the way that Barcelona played, and then the way that Tata Martino responded after the game. He said four or five things that I think have left him in a very, very weak position. One of them was uh, an astonishing remark. I mean, uh, to some extent, I can see his, um, his logic, but an astonishing remark in, in which he said, we weren't particularly interested in Messi always being involved. We wanted him to be involved less, less, but involved more decisively when he did get into the game. How do you game. mean, uh, in, in the actual game? 
in the actual game, in the play, in, in our play. We didn't necessarily want the play to be going through him. Now, obviously, to some extent, you can justify that in tactical terms. You can say we want to take him out of that crowd of players and, and remove him from the pressure of the Atletico players and then have him appear. And, of course, it's true that the two best chances probably fell his way. The header in the first half and the, and the shot just near the near post in the first half. But the, the statistics show a Messi who was... Um, involved about half as much as normal, who only ran a kilometre and a half more than Pinto, um, which, of course, these are questions are, are, is this about the tactics or is it Messi's fault? But as I think a real sense this morning that, that hang on, the, the, the basis of what Barcelona have done so brilliantly over the last four years has in part been a game that goes through Messi. Messi has become the complete player. Um, and last night, he wasn't. There are other things that Tata Martino said. For example, as you probably know, the last game of the season in the league will be Atletico Madrid against Barcelona. It will be the sixth time they've played each other this season. There's been four draws and one victory for Atletico Madrid. Tata Martino was asked last night if he thought that that game would be different. He said, I don't have any real expectation of the game being any different. Now, obviously, I understand that, and I understand that it's natural for him to, to say the games have been tough and this one will be tough as well. But basically, because of some of the other stuff he'd, say, he'd said, he was effectively saying the game Games have been like this because this is the way that Atletico Madrid make the games. This is the way they impose upon the games. And surely as coach, it's his job to make sure the game's not like this. He can then lose, win or draw, but it's his job to have a formula or to find a way of making it so that the game isn't dictated by Atletico Madrid, but instead by Barcelona. And, and I thought that was a very, very strange thing to say as well. The fact that he took off Andres Iniesta was uh, another another of these many nails that, that appear to be getting banged into his coffin. Sid, can we go back to your stat there? Leo Messi only ran one and a half kilometres more than their goalkeeper. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is Barcelona where the goalkeeper plays quite a lot of the ball, but it's still an extraordinary statistic. Um, and what I think we will see, and, and I, I personally don't share this, but what I think we will see if um, things continue to go wrong for Barcelona, for example, Copa del Rey final against uh, Real Madrid in the middle of next week. If things continue to go wrong for, for Barcelona, I think we may well see people turning on Messi. Um, now, obviously, no one's going to turn on him in the sense of saying he's rubbish because everybody knows that he quite clearly isn't rubbish. He's, I think quite clearly probably still the best player in the world. But there, there, I think there is a sneaking feeling that, that perhaps in, at times this year he hasn't, hasn't given absolutely everything, that perhaps to some extent he's reserving himself for the World Cup. And I think we will start to see some element of criticism amongst fans and media of Messi for that reason. Um, and obviously there were lots and lots of other players that you could point a finger at last night, but of course Messi in a way is the easy target. It's amazing really when you think of it. Yeah, come on, <laughs> don't turn on Messi. But you know, he, he, he's done so much and I suppose once you score 70 goals a few seasons, then people especially keep doing that. And if you don't, then they're like, well, this guy clearly uh, doesn't want to, doesn't really want to give it everything anymore. But it, it does create an interesting situation there. Maybe the fact that Barcelona are still banned from signing any players means it's very unlikely anything, there's going to be any major outgoings, let's say, this summer. But if you're looking at this situation... You have got at least one club in Manchester City who just, and Paris Saint-Germain and another club who are prepared to just do crazy things. I mean, to spend, to, certainly to break the world transfer record. For Lionel Messi, not a problem for either of those two clubs, I would imagine, if they thought something could be done. That's not going to happen because Barcelona won't sell him that. But trouble. if you're looking at that, said, and maybe if the if the fans are getting a bit, oh, you know, we're not quite sure. Maybe we've had the best years of Messi. If Messi himself is feeling, well, is this club which has just been knocked out in the quarterfinals of the Champions League and appears to be directionless, and the great team I was part of is is history now? Maybe maybe everyone is thinking this this would be the best deal for everyone. You know, 
it last night, I must admit, despite the fact that, that as I say, that he, he didn't run uh, a huge amount, despite, although, although I think that, you know, that in, in a way that's a manipulable statistic, but I still think it's an extremely startling one, um, despite the fact that some of the criticism has been levelled at Messi. But my feeling, to be honest, last night I was watching it, was that Messi is the person that should be annoyed in a way. Messi should be, is entitled to look around and say, you know what? I'm a very good player and all of that, but you know it'd be nice if once in a while you put a defender on the pitch. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be nice if it would be nice if our substitute goalkeeper didn't 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 frighten us. Now Pinto actually played okay last night. He's, a, he's a good friend of Lionel Messi, I thought. Yeah, and he's a, well, this is the, this is part of the point. He's a very good friend of Lionel Messi, and there is a slight sense in Barcelona that that's one of the reasons why he's lasted so long. Um, now, I personally don't think Pinto's a bad goalkeeper, but what he is is a goalkeeper that because Barcelona is so insistent on bringing the ball out from the back and the keeper playing, he's a goalkeeper that doesn't inspire, I think, the confidence and the security that Barcelona need to be inspired from, from deep. And I, I feel like Messi is entitled to almost look around and say, come on, look, at least put a couple of defenders on the pitch for me, because I can do almost everything, but not absolutely everything. Yet, as I say, there was that feeling that last night he didn't do it all. I think when we talk about the possibility of him leaving, that's not going to happen, because I think there's a recognition that that he's the best player they've ever had, that they would be absolutely mad to let him go. And that if they did let him go, he would no doubt go somewhere else and be absolutely incredible. The other thing is, as I say, there is a sense, I think, that this is being this is partly a product, A, of the injury, and B, of him, to some extent, having, even if it's only subconsciously, having the World Cup on his mind. And that's natural when you consider what's the one thing we've criticised, well, criticised isn't the right word, the one thing, the one doubt that there's been around Messi over the last five years, and we've all done it, and I include myself in this, ah, yeah, but until he wins the World Cup, and this year is his chance to put that to bed. Yeah. So I think most Barcelona fans probably feel, look, next year he'll be amazing again. Yeah. If he has a good World Cup. Um, so no, I, and the other thing is, look, fans will be in, uh, were annoyed last night, but uh, you know, if, if Barcelona win the Copa del Rey final, Messi's brilliant, scores a hat trick against Real Madrid, as by the way he did only three weeks ago, yeah. or less than two weeks ago. <laughs> then of course he's he's he's, he's God again. Yeah, and Guardiola, I think, says if he's fit, Argentina have to be the favourites. But while we have you on the line, I just want to ask one other question about uh, a book which has been published in English today, um, The Dark Side of Jose Mourinho by Diego Torres. Now, we've mentioned some of the extracts of this already on the programme. Um, some amazing scenes. I mean, who knew that Jose Mourinho was so weepy? He's constantly <laughs> bursting into tears. And at other times, he's like this kind of L. Ron Hubbard figure. A complete lunatic um, is, is how he's portrayed in this book, which contains scenes which are dramatic and extremely amusing. Uh, but is this a work, in your opinion, of fact or fiction? No, I think I think one of the things that has happened over the last uh, last three years, when, when Mourinho was at Real Madrid, is that is that to a very great extent Diego Torres was was vindicated. Um, Diego Torres uh, wrote almost consistently uh, over the three years about some of the problems that were that were occurring in the Real Madrid dressing room, about some of the confrontation between Mourinho and some key players, about the way that some of the players didn't trust. Mourinho up to a point and, and that was very very significant and at the start there were a lot of people saying he's making it up with time they were saying mm, he's exaggerating it then they were saying no no he's only taking his word from two or three players and by the end they were saying all those players are you know a tossers for, for, for leaking this stuff out in other words in journalistic terms 
he'd been vindicated. But by the end, people were saying, well, actually, the problem is the players telling him and they shouldn't have done so. In other words, Diego had achieved something that, that no other journalist in, in, in Spain had achieved and also had had the nerve to, to really carry it through. Now, Diego has a, a, a literary touch, which I think means that some people uh, on occasions perhaps doubt it or on occasions wonder if there's exaggeration. But as I say, I think Diego has been, has been almost entirely vindicated over the last three years. At no point, while lots of people have criticised him and while lots of people have said, you know, this is wrong uh, or you're, you're wrong in very general terms at no point except for as anyone i can think of has anyone picked up on something he said and and directly said this is not true and the one that i can think of is an occasion when when granero wasn't playing and, and there was a story about how granero had said something before the game to one of his teammates um and it turned out that granero hadn't been at the stadium that day but the way that it was written i think it, he needn't necessarily have been at the stadium to have said it so as i say i i think um I, I think it's a, it's a fascinating story, and I think the way that things unravelled at the end with Mourinho actually demonstrated that 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 he was basically right. Yeah, sounds like some pretty good journalism. Sid, great stuff. Thank you. My pleasure. In a way, I think maybe this season could be good for Leo Messi and for our perception of Leo Messi. Because I got to be honest, when well, for a start, he is still as though he's just gone. He's not doing Fernando Torres here and he still yeah. scores goals. He's, he's I mean, he, was, he scored nearly yeah. 40 goals <laughs> yeah. this season. So. But I think, in a way, he's he, Barcelona and he particularly are maybe being humanised to a certain extent. There, there was, I certainly found the last season or so, and I know it's ridiculous, but you'd be watching them against a bad team, you know Messi's going to score at least two goals. Yeah. He scores them and it's almost, I don't know how, I don't know how even, not that it leaves me cold, but not a million miles off that. Now, I still love and have always loved seeing him in the biggest games, yeah. in the big Champions League games, playing against Real Madrid because he still always does it and that's when it's exciting. But yeah. watching him scoring two goals against Villarreal, yeah. God, who cares? But now, when, you, you see how difficult what he has achieved has been over the years by the fact that he can't quite he get can't to that quite level. Do it. All he's managed to do this season is score 38 goals in 39 <laughs> games, which is... Which is almost as good I mean, as any record Which is had. terrible compared to the previous seasons where he, the last two seasons he scored more goals than he's played yeah. games. So, yeah, thirty-eight and thirty-nine. He's right back. He's busted right back down to the levels of two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Just one goal a game when he won his first uh, Ballon d'Or. Uh, thirty-eight goals in fifty-one games. That's the. Do you take my point though about Barcelona? It, it yeah. all looked almost too effortless, and it was maybe it even throws into sharper relief how good a job Pep Guardiola did. The, Absolutely, you just kind of thought at, one, at a point, oh well, that's pretty easy. They, they obviously have a good structure in the club. They've got these good players in, and now they can just manage themselves, and they're all amazing. But actually, you need a good manager to pull that all together, and you need. You do. To be firing. I mean, I think Guardiola just just um, succeeds on so many levels as a manager, you know, because it's not just the fact that he objectively and empirically, you know. Uh, in the technical way on the football training ground in the stadium is 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 getting results or is playing really sophisticated football that gets results. He also does the things that, you know, we were talking about Mourinho doing this propaganda war. I mean, did you see him last night, Owen? How amazing did he look on the sideline? Seriously, I was looking at Guardiola going, he looks incredible. Look at him now. He stepped out in his technical area to conduct this team. He's like, um, they they have a tradition which doesn't really exist in Ireland, but certainly in Middle Europe, where Pep has found himself now, of you know these great uh, uh, conductors, yeah. you know the maestro, um, you know Furtwängler, uh, what's the name of the guy? Herbert von Karajan. Apparently, Michael Ballack's nickname at one of one of his clubs was Herbert, right? <laughs> Herbert after von Karajan, obviously the conductor, the maestro. These people are famous in Middle Europe, and Pep Guardiola is. Like that now, he's like uh, 
he's like that uh, that type of genius you know what i mean this like you, typically very good looking uh, beautifully dressed man who gets up and conducts an orchestra pep guardiola is doing this with a football team you know in front of a far bigger crowd than ever watched uh, carry on in action i don't know it's a, it's a new kind of uh, it's a new thing that he's invented. Maybe, maybe he's actually better at the propaganda game than Mourinho. He's certainly better at the at the training and tactics side. Do have a listen to show number one today. The if you're listening on Thursday, we have a show out there with Malachy Clerken and Carol Mannion talking about the football league semi-finals, in particular. Quite a lot of chat about Cork, so if you're from that neck of the woods, then you should definitely be listening to it. And Damien Varley also, this is a nice Munster focus to this. The Munster hooker, who is also a trained tenor, and offered Ken. Well, we certainly asked him for some advice, technical advice on Ken singing, so you can have a listen to see what Damien had to say. And he also talked mostly about the Heineken Cup, which ones are in with a chance of winning again this year. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains, facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. We will chat to you soon. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. And thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.